Good morning. If everyone can find their seats. We have a special treat today. Uh, Dave Magoon is going to be preaching. And I don't know, have you preached here before? Years ago. Okay. Okay. In the why. Um, so recently, though, his son-in-law has preached here. So Dan Roca, you guys all might remember. And so uh, we're excited to hear what God is going to share through our brother Dave here. So as, um, as we prepare, as everyone finds their seats, uh, let's just welcome Dave Magoon. So. Not sure if I have this. It's up there. There. Good morning, everyone. If, oh, that's good. <laughs> See, now, now we've got to remember here. You've had, hi, John. How are you? Okay, I'm starting to see people I recognize. Um, I know where I am now. Um, we have had an extra hour's sleep. Is that correct? So you're all wide awake. And, and doesn't that mean I have an extra hour to share this morning? Isn't that, isn't that how that works? Isn't that how that works? Now, the first message I ever preached was 10 minutes long. I did not bring that one with me, okay? So, so this, is, this is a frightening time for, for you all. Um, but... Uh, it's, it's such a joy to come here. I mean, you, to think about it, 10 years ago, Peggy, around 10 years this month, I believe, I believe it was uh, in November, um, we all met down in Gaithersburg, uh, everybody that was interested in seeing a church, a Sovereign Grace Church planted in New England. We all got together for breakfast. I remember I had eggs and... No, <laughs> No, but it was a, it, it just was a, it was a precious time, and we prayed together. We, there were probably about 15, 16 of us, something along that line. And, and then we all went with, with Bowers' team. That's, that's right. But you know what? You guys sat across from us. You, yeah, that's true, though. You guys, Paul and Peggy sat across from us, and we got to talk with them a little bit, and I said, I want to go with them. I'd love to go with you guys. Bauer was on the other side. I don't want to go with him. I want to go with Paul and Peggy. And then just timing-wise and job-wise, everything. You know, I I was working for FedEx at the time. And uh, still work for FedEx. And uh, I was looking for a job. And they said, well, you can, can, yeah, we can transfer you. But your territory is going to be Rhode Island. And I said, oh, Rhode Island. I guess I'm not going with Paul and Peggy. I'm going to be going down with Bauer. So God just strategically sets those things up at the right time, the right place. And it's always fun. Well, anyway, greetings from, uh, from Crossway. We've, uh, we've been, <laughs> Paul get, got to sleep in a little bit today. And he speaks at 1 down there because we're meeting at 1 o'clock in the afternoon because a a church so graciously opened up their doors and said, you guys can use our building for nothing until your building is done. And, I mean, miracle after miracle has been happening with 
with all of that. But we've got a lot of things going on. We're also looking at the whole aspect of the plurality of leadership. By the way, my name's Dave Magoon, in case you're... And I am on the leadership team down at uh, the Crossway. This is my wife, Roxanne. Now, how much time have I used for all of this part? You guys are in big trouble. Big trouble. Anyway, we're going to, you know, I could, I'd love to share a lot of things, what God's doing down there, and there's a tremendous amount, but I want to get to this. I feel like there's something special here. I will try to go through a lot of information very quickly because we do have that extra hour, and we want to enjoy it throughout the whole day, right? You don't want to listen to me for a whole hour and a half, you see. So, so if you have your Bible with you, and I'd love to hear the rustling of pages, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 2 through 8. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, I've read this passage for years, and I'm sure you have read this passage over and over again. It's probably underlined in your Bible. How many have it underlined, a lot of this passage underlined in your Bible? There are a few people that do. A lot of times what happens when we have a a passage that we've underlined many times, a lot of times we'll look at it, and we'll say, yes, I've read that. I know what that means. And we kind of skip it because we just assume that we remember what, what it means. Well, we remember the last thing that we felt God was saying to us through it. We go, oh, yes, that was, that was good. That was, that was helpful. And, you know, sometimes we'll underline it numerous times, sometimes in different colors. Sometimes our Bible begins to look like a rainbow because it has so many different colors in there because each time you read it, you use something different. But... But the problem is, you know, when you're in school and you're studying for school and you're underlining things, it's usually the things that you're underlining that's the important thing, and that's the part you study. Whereas in Scripture, so often we underline it and we say, yes, I've read that. I understand what it means. And and we kind of skip it. So we want to look a little more closely in here. It reminds me of the, the movie Dennis the Menace, and I don't know if you've seen that movie. I found it rather entertaining. But in the movie Dennis the Menace, Dennis has to stay with the Wilsons, Mr. and Mrs. Wilson, because his parents were on a trip. And one day it is raining. It is just pouring out, and Dennis can't go outside to play. And he's sitting there with Mr. Wilson, 
And he starts asking Mr. Wilson questions, and he's asking him question after question after question. And Mr. Wilson says, why are you asking me so many questions? And this is what Dennis says. Dennis says, I've only been around for five years. There's a lot of stuff I don't know, okay? (laughs) So it doesn't matter whether you've been around for five years or for 85 years. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. And we're going to look at some of these passages that maybe sometimes we overlook. And we're going to look at it a little more closely. But let's pray, and then we'll look into it. So, Father, thank you that we have an opportunity to look into your word this morning, your inspired word, the words that were given to James by you so many years ago. And now we get to speak these things. We get to hear these things once again. And we pray, Lord, just for your anointing. In spite of myself, Lord, I pray that you'll use what is said today to better your people. So we pray that you will do that. So thank you, Father. Thank you for this church and for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to use a kind of do a little summary in the first. We're going to look at some different words, what they mean. We're, kind of, we're, we're just going to go over a, a few things, and we're, again, going to try to do it quickly. But at first, let's look at verses 2 through 4 a little more closely. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers. Now he's talking to, to believers, my brothers. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance, if you look at the New American Standard. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, so let's look at a couple of words here. Let's look at first the word count. Count. Count it all joy. I was never good at math, so I didn't do well at counting, but count it all joy when these things happen. So the meaning of the word count is to consider it so, consider it as such, consider it as joy, esteem it as joy, count it as joy. It's an authoritative declaration. It is done, it is counted, it's accepted. That is something that we need to see it as. So we need to see it as joy, okay? So it's a declaration. We're proclaiming that. We want to accept it. Now, when a trial comes, that's not usually the first thing we do. We don't accept it as joy, okay? So we want to do that. So that's what count means. Let's look at the word meet. When you meet various trials, when you meet them, and meet here, whenever I look at the word meet, I'm I'm meeting somebody. I'm meeting somebody for breakfast. I'm going to meet them. Hey, how you doing? That kind of meet. That's not really what it's referring to here. When we meet these things, it means to get into the middle of it. When, you, when you're, <laughs> you're surrounded by, it encompasses you. This is, this is what it means to meet a trial, when it's become all-encompassing. Don't you love those kind of trials when they're all-encompassing around you going, Hey, I've met this trial. You know, it's something, a lot of fun, right? Lots of fun. We're going to count that as joy, aren't we? All the time, we never have any, any possibility of being disappointed. 
oh boy, I've got a trial, you know, that kind of thing. Various trials, let's look at that, diverse, they're complex. Various trials doesn't mean a lot of a different kinds of trials. It means it's, they're diverse but also complex. They're intricate trials. You guys that might be engineers love to figure out, well, how am I going to get out of this one? You know, how can I get out of this trial and get to the other side of it? Well, that's not what God wants. God doesn't want us to try to figure these things out. He wants us to ask for wisdom. He wants us to go to him. Too often when we try to figure out the trial, that's when we start to get worried. That's when we start to fall into fear, which is sin, lack of faith. That's all fear is. Fear is just a lack of faith. If we have faith, we wouldn't fear. So there's kind of a a little thing that goes back and forth here, which we'll talk about going back and forth a little bit with that whole double-mindedness thing. But he also says, for you know that these trials will produce steadfastness. You know that. It's something that they already know. James is trying to review this with them. James is not trying to tell them anything new, and I'm not trying to tell you anything new today. I'm trying to review things with you because we've read these passages before. The testing of their faith is to produce good things. The trial, which is the testing of our faith, is to produce good things. When Roxanne and I were first, when we first became Christians, let's see, how do I explain our Christianity? You take, you take a Christian and you take a hippie and you smash them together like this and you get a Jesus freak, okay? So that was what Roxanne and I were. We were Jesus freaks, okay? We, we lacked a lot of understanding. We were... You know, we didn't have a good solid. We loved the Lord. I mean, I, I, there's no one more passionate than much of Jesus freaks. I mean, they just worshiping, they're praying, they're re- reading their Bible. I mean, it was great, great stuff. But um, we never saw trials necessarily as a helpful thing. You know, when we when we ran a trial, we just go like, "Dude," capital D, because Jesus freaks are respectful. I want you to know that. Dude, you're messing with my fun, man, capital M. Okay? <clears throat> Jesus freaks of respect. We didn't have that understanding. We didn't have a good, solid foundation. We were reading Scripture. We were trying to understand things, but we didn't have it all together. We were, we were trying, and then we incorporated into churches, and we, we grew up a little bit. I think that... That helped. Um, we were people that realized we needed a Savior. And we were surrounded by temptations and trials. And that, again, points ourselves to the cross, points ourselves to what Jesus has done for us. And realizing that the trial points to the cross, the trial points to the gospel, and we just go back to God and we say, Save us, give us wisdom, help us bring us through, develop our Christian life. Many of you have job problems, health problems, financial problems, relational problems. You can be surrounded by people that don't like you. That's always fun. You can be surrounded by people you don't like. You know, these are trials. These are temptations. These are problems that we're faced with every day. 
maybe some, some of you are experiencing this, this really horrible temptation, this horrible trial, and it's called prosperity. Maybe you're experiencing that trial. That's the one we always want. I want to be prospered. I want to be rich. I want to have everything. And really, then the trial is not trusting God, relying upon yourself, becoming spiritually lazy because we don't depend on what God has for us. It could be a new job, maybe a new marriage, a new baby, a raise or a promotion. My, my uh, son-in-law, not, not Dan, you've met Dan. I have another son-in-law, Mark. He, he, he recently, this was on his wedding day, okay, the, uh, our daughter Erin and Mark Westerland got married back in July. On the guy's wedding day at the reception, he gets a phone call from his boss. You know, his boss knew he was getting married. He gets a phone call. He says, I'm giving you a raise and a promotion. I mean, it's a nice wedding present. Wonderful wedding present, but it can also give a whole new set of trials and a whole new set of temptations that go along with those things. And those are the things that we can be faced with, that smooth sailing is not always a blessing. You have to handle it. You have to manage it right. We need to ask God for wisdom. Okay, let's skip some things because we want to make sure we're... Okay. Well, let's look at the word steadfastness. Let's move ahead. Steadfastness, which I can never say steadfastness, so I'd rather use the New American Standard. Let's call it endurance because I stumble whenever I keep saying steadfastness. It just doesn't sound right to me. Steadfastness or endurance. Whenever I think of steadfastness, I think of the old hymn. We have an anchor who keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Founded, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Okay? It's a wonderful hymn written by a school teacher. That hymn was written by a school teacher. Wrote many, she also wrote Jesus Saves. A wonderful, wonderful hymn. The first verse of that says, Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? But we have an anchor. We have an anchor who keeps the soul. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful hymn. Steadfastness, though, the meaning of that is cheerful or hopeful endurance. It's not just endurance. It's cheerful, cheerful or hopeful endurance, a, a constancy, a patience, patient continuing. It means sometimes we have to wait through the trial. We have to be, we, I hate that. We have to wait and be patient through the trial that we're experiencing at the time. But we have a sense of God's control in the middle of it. When we're steadfast, We have a sense of God's control. We're not freaking out. We sense stability, even in the midst of the turmoil. We feel like there's a a positive element or more of a realistic understanding of what's going on. It's nothing that we have come up with. It's something that God provides. It's a God thing. If life was easy, we wouldn't need steadfastness. 
So let steadfastness or this endurance, James says, have its full effect. That you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. Perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. What do you think he's talking about there? He's talking about maturity. Being brought to the place of spiritual maturity. Now, we're at all different levels and we're growing. But there should be a a progression within our life that we're experiencing more and more maturity. We don't stay Jesus freaks. Although Roxanne and I kind of do. But we don't stay Jesus freaks our whole life. We start to mature. We start to become more solid in our faith and in our beliefs. I think the question that needs to be answered or we need to ask, ask, where did that come from? Ask ourselves, ask ourselves is how do we get there from here? How do we get to a place of maturity from where we're at or become the next step in maturity? I, I don't think we can say, here's maturity up here and we've got to get there or we've failed. I'm not saying that. because, But there's a progression in our relationship with God and in our, our walk with the Lord so that we continual, continually progress. How do we get there from here to the place of maturity, handling life a little better than we do? If we can handle something a little better than we used to, that's a sign of maturity. That's a sign of growth. So our main thought today, to get from here to there, we need to ask for wisdom from our all-wise and generous God. We have an all-wise and generous God, and we need to believe that. We need to hold that. We need to see that. It says it in his word. We need to accept that because it's a very important aspect. So we're going to look at three things I think James points, that, points them out in our walk through this life that will help us to come to this place. We're going to look at wisdom, because that's what we're going to ask for. We're going to look at prayer, and we're going to look at faith. And I'm going to try to do this in about 15, 20 minutes. Okay? We'll see what happens. So let's look at wisdom. God gives generously. He gives wisdom generously when we ask for help. Okay. He gives generously when we ask for help. Wisdom is to be sought. It's one of the goals. We're supposed to gain wisdom. We're supposed to get wisdom. You don't have to have gray hair and a beard to be wise. The young can be wise. The old can be wise. The young can be foolish. The old can be foolish. We want to be a wise people, and we need to be praying for wisdom. We need to ask for it. We need to ask for wisdom. Wisdom is available, and we're to pray about, if we're to pray about everything, we might as well pray for wisdom. Bauer, our pastor who's been here many times, I know you know him, he did a series on wisdom not too long ago, and he said wisdom guards the path of life. If you're going down a path, you need some guidelines. Wisdom gives us that. When we get godly wisdom, Bauer sounds very wise. He's a very wise man. Um, But let's define wisdom. 
in our passage, wisdom is for discerning God's purpose for the test or trial that we're facing. It's for discerning God's purpose for the test or trial that we're facing. The dictionary definition for wisdom, knowledge of what is true or right coupled with just judgment as to action, discernment, or insight. We need, sometimes we need insight into these trials. We have these trials and we're just going, what in the world is this I'm faced with? And we need some sort of insight. What's God doing? We're not just supposed to say, man, sometimes the small letter M. Man, what in the world is going on here? We need to see things a little more importantly than that. In Proverbs, of course, if you want to learn about wisdom, you read Proverbs. I mean, Proverbs is, is wonderful, and Proverbs, really, the first, the first nine chapters of Proverbs is just really defining wisdom for us. It defines different aspects. Chapter 1 starts with the relationship with God, which is the beginning of knowledge, which brings about wisdom. Chapter 1 also has a call to wisdom in it. Chapter 2, a value, the value of wisdom. Chapter 3, the need to trust in the Lord. That's kind of a wise thing to do. Um, It says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Chapter 3 and 4, how to find wisdom. Then chapter 5 through 7, there are warnings and the blessing of wisdom. Chapter 9, the way of wisdom. Then Proverbs chapter 10, that's when it says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. They want you to have this foundation of what wisdom is before you start figuring out what Solomon's trying to say, you've got to have that foundation. That's why the first part of Proverbs is such an important part. And it talks about life and relationships with the wise and what is foolish and what brings spiritual and relational total ruin and what brings spiritual and relational good. Now, the wisdom of Solomon was a gift. Solomon says, I need wisdom to rule these people. God says, what do you want, Solomon? What do you, what do you need? He says, I need, I need help in, in dealing with all these people you gave me. He didn't say, oh, I'd like riches. He got that. He didn't even say, I want tons of wives. He got that too. That was, wasn't wise on his part. But... It was a gift, and God gave it to him. He gave this wisdom to Solomon, and God blessed him for asking for that because he saw the importance of his relationship with God and walking it out. Preparation for life isn't a piece of cake, and we need that foundation of wisdom. So wisdom brings order back into sometimes messy situations. Because we're not just reacting. If we react to our trials, we're always going to have problems. We need to respond in a wise way when we're dealing with these things. So this is what James is talking about. We don't want to remain surrounded by our trials. We want to deal with them. We don't want to be people that are tossed about, going in different directions. We need wisdom to walk through these things. Back in... uh, 1986. Roxanne and I became a part of Sovereign Grace back in 83. It wasn't called Sovereign Grace then, but back in 83. 
and um, we, we moved out by faith. It was during a, another horrible recession back in 83, and, and I had been a pastor, left the pastorate, and moved out to Ohio, said, hey, this is what God wants. God's going to provide everything for us. It's going to be easy. This is going to be great. God's just going to open up doors. And I couldn't find a job. I couldn't find a job anywhere. And we were staying with some friends. They said, move in with us until you get a job. You know, they owned a horse farm, so I'd clean stalls every once in a while just for the fun of it. But th- there, was, there was nothing to do. And eventually, I mean, there are a myriad of stories, which I won't go into. Eventually I got a job at a gas station. And I'm going, Lord, what in the world are you doing? Put me in a gas station? I have a degree in theology. What am I doing with a gas station? <laughs> the guy said, do you know anything about cars? I said, no. <laughs> he said, good, I can teach you the way I want to. He <laughs> got, Lord, you're opening up an opportunity for me to be a mechanic? I can remember changing oil in cars. There'd be a pool of oil there, and you could look down, and I'd see my reflection in the oil. And I'm going, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> to go to a church? You're changing oil? But you know what? During that time, my boss came to know the Lord. His wife came to know the Lord. His sister came to know the Lord. His parents came to know the Lord. Because that was God's intent. That was his plan. I saw it as a trial. God saw it as a beautiful opportunity to share the gospel. That's the amazing thing. That's the amazing thing. We'll skip that illustration because I went on to this other one, so that's fine. Um, So when we respond to what God's doing or what doors open up that we don't know, we don't know how they're going to open up. We don't know how something's going to turn out. We just have to go, Lord... I need wisdom. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need to have faith. And we need to pray and have faith and trust in God. It requires wisdom. Let's go to prayer. Number two, let's go to prayer. We talked about wisdom. Let's go to prayer here. All my notes are totally gone now. I'm trying to just find things. Prayer. Uh, wisdom comes from God through prayer. James chapters, uh, chapter 2, chapter 1, 5 through 9. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose they'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So prayer is an important aspect in our relational life with God. It's an important aspect when we need wisdom. We need to be praying. We have to realize God has done all kinds of things for us. He has saved us. He's provided for us. He's used us. We're undeserving of anything. 
he created us, he died for us, was the perfect sacrifice. I accepted the Lord at a Christian coffee house. A bunch of Jesus freaks there, too. Um, and we found that everything in God's word was important. I mean, we cherished, we cherished the word of God. And we cherished the aspect of prayer. I mean, we were always reading God's word and always praying. Those are the two things we did. We drank a lot of coffee. Always prayed, always read God's word, and always drank coffee. And um, we prayed about everything. And we believed that you, you had to pray about everything. That was just something you did. I mean, it was, that was a given. You didn't have to say, well, you should be praying about this. Although, <laughs> although we had some of the people that, you know, they were ex-hippies. They became Christians. They said, am I supposed to stop doing drugs now? And yes, yes, that would be the wise thing to do is to stop, stop doing drugs. But we... we We'll be praying over everything. And over the years, we have continually done that. We would pray for jobs. We would pray for food. We would pray for housing. We would pray for healings. We'd pray, pray for pregnancies. We'd pray for deliveries. And we still do that. We still do that because Scripture says, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Why pray? I'll give you the Jesus freak answer. Why not? Okay? We're not real deep, us Jesus freaks. Why not pray? Why not? What do you have to lose? When everything's all messed up, what do you have to lose? You might as well pray. Pray for wisdom. Matthew Henry, the great Puritan commentator and preacher, he said, We should not pray so much for the removal of of an affliction, as for wisdom to make right use of it. Be wise in trying times is a special gift of God, and to him we must seek for it. Realize that God is a father who cares, and he responds to our prayers. He's a father who cares, and he responds to our prayers, and he will give us wisdom. James says that we should be praying and not doubting, and this is a caution. He's trying to, to caution them. Now, he's, he's telling these people, you guys know this stuff. You know that trial brings steadfastness and that you need to ask for wisdom. He's saying you know this, but he's reminding them once again, and he's cautioning them to make sure that they, they uh, know that this is something you need to do. When we doubt, doubt there are ill effects. There are ill effects to doubting. This is why we need faith and we need to believe and we need to trust God when we are faced with various trials. And we need to ask ask ourselves, do we want to go forward with God or do we want to just sit back and just kind of let things happen? Do we want to enter into the fullness of what God has for us? Do we want to grow into the mature man he talks about that Paul talks about. Um, doubting hinders that. Doubting hinders us getting through things so that we be, can grow. We can become more steadfast. We can grow in our faith. So we end up second-guessing everything when we're doubting. We just say, well, I don't know. I don't know if I should do this. So James talks about this wave 
If you start doubting, you're, you're like a wave, and you start just kind of flowing over and being tossed around. And wave, a wave, you can't really contain a wave. It's pretty much out of control. It just keeps, keeps going. It's a stirred-up area going in every direction imaginable. We used to live in Ohio for 18 years, and at the top of Ohio was Lake Erie, one of the Great Lakes. Lake Erie is one of the shallowest of the Great Lakes, as opposed to like Lake Superior, which is the, the largest of the Great Lakes. The average depth of Lake Erie is 62 feet. That's the average depth. It's not very deep. The average depth of Lake Superior is 483. The deepest point of Lake Erie is only 210 feet. The deepest point of Lake Superior is 1,332 feet. Lake Superior is a shallow lake. It's one of the warmest lakes because if, you know, like in a puddle, if the sun is beating down on a puddle, it warms up very quickly. And Lake Erie is like a giant puddle. The sun beats down and it warms up. Because of that, when the cold weather does start to come in, it's so warm, it takes a little while for it to cool down to freeze, and you get all those lake effect snows because all that moisture is sucked up into the air and it comes down, and it just dumps feet of snow around Erie, Pennsylvania, and Cleveland, Ohio, and those areas like that. So there's always something. It's a very active, active lake. One time it was the most polluted lake, but because it's the most shallow, it's also the easiest to clean up. It doesn't take as long. But because it's one of the shallowest lakes, when a storm hits, you know, like in the ocean, when a storm hits, you have these giant waves that come, and the boat, you can put the boat toward the wave, and it'll go up the wave, and down the wave, and up the wave, and down. There's a lot of space between the waves. In, in Lake Erie, the waves are very close together because it's so shallow. So the wave point, which is the point between two waves, they just keep smashing into the boat, just smashing one right after the other. It, the boat can't go up and down. It just keeps smashing into it. If you look online about shipwrecks on Lake Erie, you'll see these horrendous stories about ships that could not handle those waves just smashing into the boat. The point of that is where there is no depth, there's a lot of turmoil. Where there's no depth, there's a lot of turmoil. We need to have spiritual depth. If we want to be able to weather the things that are coming at us, we need to have some depth to us. Otherwise, these waves just come up really quickly, and they just cause all kinds of problems. It takes faith, it takes prayer, and it takes wisdom to quell the trials, to calm the storms. We need to have that spiritual perspective. We need to add depth to our spiritual walk. Without spiritual depth, we set ourselves up for storms. The other thing James talks about is the double-minded man. When you're looking at the double-minded man, and I've got to talk quickly now, when you're looking at the double-minded man, you're talking about someone with... It's, it's like a divided soul. That's, that's what the word is referring to, a divided soul, because you're struggling. You're, you're trying to go in one direction and the other direction, and you're going back and forth. It's like you have one face going this way and one face going that way. 
and and it's just a, a struggle and a strain trying to think all these things through. James says, if you doubt, you will end up in the middle of that kind of thing, always struggling in it. And he's saying don't doubt. And the reason why he's saying don't doubt is because if you start to doubt, you will end up back where you were. It's not just because you won't get what you want. It's because you're going to end up back thinking about what you were trying not to think about. So when you doubt, if you pray and you leave it to the Lord, the Lord takes care of those things. If we start to doubt, what we do is we revisit the trial and we end up back there again. And it's a vicious cycle we can end ourselves up in. And we need to recognize that. It's more important to recognize something. You realize this? It's more important to recognize something than to actually be delivered from it. If you know that it's a problem, then you can take the the correct steps. You can go to God and you can have God give you the wisdom that you need. But if we don't, whoops, but if we don't recognize it, if we don't recognize it, then we go back there again. And we're dealing with the same problem, the same struggle over and over and over again. So we can have a divided soul. We're not getting anywhere. We're in an unending cycle. And it takes faith to pray for wisdom. So let's look at faith real quickly. Very quickly. Okay. Faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, it says in Hebrews. We're saved by faith, grace through faith, justified by faith. It's a gift. Faith is a gift from God. Scripture says your faith has saved you. And faith is talked about through the Bible. And faith is what we needed to start this journey with God to begin with. He gave us faith to believe, to believe, and we need to have faith in that gospel, which is the starting point. We need to believe in what Jesus did, that he is our Savior, that he lived the perfect life, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that he's coming again. Faith in him brings forgiveness of our sins. A friend of mine struggles with the whole story of Jesus. He he. he he cannot seem to get out of that, that problem where he, he believes what Jesus did was, was effective. I'm not even sure if he believes in a historical Jesus. It's very sad. But he also struggles with lack of peace, lack of assurance, lack of direction, because he has nothing. He has nothing, and you try to tell him, hey, This is what Jesus did. This will give you purpose. This will give you vision. This will give you direction. No, I don't believe that. So he's going to continue with his lack of peace, his lack of direction, his turmoil life. He needs to see that. He needs to go before God. But it's a sad thing. It's a very sad thing when we don't have that. So we need to have faith in the gospel. We need to have faith in a wise God as well. I love the thought that our God is all-wise and all-knowing and all-caring and all-giving because it takes a lot of pressure off, doesn't it? It takes a lot of pressure off. We have a real God, the God that's described in the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 
We need to believe that God is in the control. We need to believe that God is our provider. He is the one who provides wisdom for us. And do you believe that he is loving enough to want to bring you to the place that you should be? That's what we need to do. And a lot of times we say, yeah, I, I, I believe it. I believe it. Well, learn it. Own it. It's yours. It is your faith, something that you have. It's your personal thing. He is your God. Jesus is your Savior, something you want to have. And we are his people. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a wave just kind of floating around. I certainly don't want to be a double-minded man because that sounds like it hurts to be a double-minded man. Two souls going in different directions. What we need is we need to go to God. We need to seek wisdom from him. So where does that bring us? Life and wisdom meet in our relationship with God. That's simple. I, I... I'm, I am a simple person, simple man. And thank God he gave us word that's understandable. Life and wisdom meet in our relationship with him, recognizing that he is wise, he is generous, and that wisdom comes from him. Maybe you have decisions that you are troubling you, that you have to make. Maybe there's trials at work. Maybe there are health issues. Maybe there are relational issues that you're you're dealing with, and these are trials that are coming in. Maybe you're starting to feel a little tossed around by the sea of uncertainty and where God would have you. I want you to ask yourself some questions in closing here. Ask yourself this. Ask yourself, what aren't I praying about? Not what you're praying about. What aren't I praying about? Ask yourself, do I believe God is wise? Is he wise? Ask yourself this. What situation did I have recently where God's wisdom would have brought a whole new perspective? In hindsight, looking back, what? If I would have asked God for wisdom, how would that have... I, I could tell you tons of stories where I didn't ask for wisdom. And one more question we'll ask here. What area or time period in your life did you ask for his wisdom and in hindsight you found that it brought calm to the storm, peace to the mind, and maturity to the soul. Our God is a loving, charitable, wise Father who is eager to help us, eager to give wisdom, eager to bring us to a place where life and wisdom meet. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you for so many things. I mean, we could never list all the things and all the ways you have cared for us. And Lord, as we look at life's path, each one of us has a path that we are going down. Lord, we need 
your wisdom. Lord, we need your involvement in our lives to a much greater degree. Even as things go smoothly, even as we do ask you for wisdom, Lord, we still need more. We are totally dependent upon you. So, Father, I pray, I pray that you will instill within us a burning desire, a yearning to draw you into our lives all the more. Lord, that we might serve you, that we might glorify you, that we might experience peace through a trial, that we might experience steadfastness and joy. And Lord, we will know once again that you deserve all the glory. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.